One of the biggest challenges that I think any of us face is when we see a friend, maybe a close family member, maybe a child. In fact, just had a conversation this week, uh, weekend, with someone talking about a teenage child. When you see them deliberately, not, uh, oh, what just happened, but in a very willful, I'm bound and determined to do this, move in a direction that you know is going to have negative consequences for their life. And everything in you wants to you know, wave your arms. Uh, you want to be able to speak into their life. You want to be able to come alongside them. And whatever way you can to try to say, wait a second, you don't want to do this. It's like the bridge is out ahead and you know it's out ahead and they just want to drive around you. And you're doing everything you can to get them to stop. You know, sometimes I, I think we forget that There are many days in our own personal lives that we make choices, we make decisions that are willfully, knowingly moving in a direction that is a way for everything we know or at least have understood that God would have for us. And so how does God respond? I know what you do and what I do if you you have a child or you have a parent or you have a, a friend who's moving in a wrong direction or even a spouse. You do everything. You try to speak into their life and then sometimes you just go, I've done all I can do. And it's not 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 making any kind of difference. And then sometimes you get so frustrated to where you make a statement something like this. I'm just done. I'm done. Well, how does God respond? When He sees us move in a direction, willfully, knowingly, move in a direction that is the total opposite of everything that He has in mind for our lives. How does God respond? And so this morning, I'm going to look at, with you, four different lives. We're going to make our way from life to life throughout the Scripture, how God responds in a moment to turn people's heart back toward Him, back toward the path, back toward His purpose, back toward everything God has in mind for them. Now, I don't know where you are this morning in terms of your own personal relationship with God, and maybe God is someone that you're exploring, maybe you're curious, maybe you have crossed the line of faith and said, yes, I want Christ to come into my life, but maybe at the same time you're hedging. Maybe there's some craziness going on in your life. Maybe it's not obvious to others. Maybe it's something that only you know about. It's just kind of hidden in your life. You try to keep it out of public view. But you're making choices right now. And you're moving in a direction deep down in your heart. Everything is saying to you, you really don't want to go there, but you're going to go there anyway. How does God respond? In other words, let me put it in a question and then we'll try to answer it. What does God do to get a rebel heart to return to Him. What does God do? How does He respond? So with that in mind, we're going to look at four different ways that God responds. And the first one is found in the life story of someone who is very famous in terms of the Scripture. He was kind of the ultimate of all, ultimate superhero of the nation of Israel. Everything about this man's life is fascinating from the, his teenage years up through his adult years. His name was David. We remember David as the sweet singer of Israel. He's a celebrity type person. His accomplishments as a military leader. He was very uh, gifted in terms of musically. He was just this amazing person. 
But there was a chapter in his life, not just the only chapter, but in particular, when he made a deliberate choice, when he decided that he would move outside the bounds of a committed relationship, and he engaged in an adulterous affair. I'm not going to go into all the details. It's very familiar. But I want us to see what did God do with David when David deliberately moved in this direction. The Bible says a man after his own heart. What does God do in response to David? Now understand, David knew exactly what he was doing when he took another man's wife and he was engaged in an affair. And then beyond that, he had this massive cover-up where he tried to kind of push things away and it only got worse. He arranged for the murder of her own for of the woman he was involved with her uh, her husband's death and here here you see this man a man after God's own heart a year has passed since all of this has happened it seems like everything's going to go on normal but David has stepped in to the backwater what is wrong how does God respond let's look at it in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 beginning at verse 1 let's read it follow on the screen and the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain crop, in a certain city, that one, one was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little hue lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now those came, uh, there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock uh, to lead, uh, to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb for foe because he did this thing and he had no pity. Nathan said to David, here's the key word, you are the man. And then Nathan went on and said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you. Look at all the things God has done for you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house. I delivered you from your enemies. I blessed you, put you in a place of prominence, gave you your master's wives from your into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover given you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah, that was the husband of the woman he was involved with, the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me, have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wife before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of them. For you did this secretly, but I will do this before all of Israel and before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you will be utterly scorned, uh, you, uh, because you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child you have taken to you shall die. And then Nathan went to his house. Very strong words. How does God confront David in the backwater 
when he had committed what was just an unbelievable series of just total, I'm going to have what I want, when I want it, the way I want it. How did God deal with David? After a year period of time, the cover-up had happened. Seemingly things were going to move along. There wasn't going to be any kind of you know consequence. What did God do? Here's what He did. And this is how God deals with us. He brings somebody into our life to confront us. When, whenever Nathan came to David, that was a risky thing. Whenever he came to David, he confronted David and he said, basically, I'm not talking about somebody else. David's anger was, you know, greatly aroused. Many times, people who have hidden sin are angry and it reveals in some of the statements that they make. And here was David in the backwater of what was wrong, knowing willfully what he had done was against everything God had planned for him after all that God had done for him. And what does God do? He says, David, you're the man. You're the one. And it was this direct confrontation. There are times in our lives when the only way that God can bring us back to Him is to bring people into our lives at great personal risk because you may reject them. You may in in turn actually cut off the relationship with them. But they step into your life and with a very clear message, they say, I want you to understand what you're doing and what you've done is wrong. And here's why it's wrong. It's evil in God's sight. And it shows a total lack of gratitude and responsiveness towards Him. And I'm just telling you, what you've done is wrong. It's disgusting. It's wrong. God brings people into your life from time to time. And when He does, it may be a pastor. It may be a close friend. But when He does, He's bringing that person there to turn your heart towards Him through confrontation. One of the things that you can pray for and should ask for and give people permission is to speak into your life whenever they see you moving in a direction that is totally contrary to everything God has for your life. Confrontation. Someone saying, speaking into your life, it's on you. This isn't something you can rationalize away. This is not something that you can blame anybody else for. This isn't something that you can somehow or another hope will go away. No, this is on you. This is your deal. This is your choice. And because of that, there are certain kind of consequences that are going to follow. Confrontation. Let's go to a second illustration of how that God moves into people's lives. You can follow along with me, and we're going to turn over to a particular journal that was written by David's son. His name was Solomon. And this was a particular man who succeeded David after David continued out his reign over the years. Then Solomon took his place. And Solomon, by his very own nature and name, was known as someone who had just unbelievable breadth and depth of understanding and wisdom, but he never really applied that wisdom in a, in, a, in a real way in terms of how he went about making decisions. And he made all kinds of different choices that ended up being negative in terms of his own personal life as well as future generations. How did God respond to Solomon when Solomon's heart moved 
in a direction away from everything that God had planned for him. Let's read about it here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Here's what we read. And let me, let me pause here before I read it. Ecclesiastes is a personal journal that Solomon wrote after 40 plus years of living. He looks back on his life and this is what he writes about his life. It has a very ragged edge to it, a recurring theme to it that's captured in these two verses. Let's look at it. The words of the preacher, the words of the the wise one, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Here's what I've discovered, he says. I'm writing it down, looking back at life. Here's my reflection on life. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What he's saying there is, I've explored life. I've done everything that you possibly could imagine do in life. I've had all kinds of wealth. Wealth on top of wealth. No one's been more wealthier than I have. I've had accomplishments that if you look around the world, there's nobody that's had more accomplishments, more renown, more fame than I have. When it comes to my own sense of being able to experience pleasure, there's nothing that I've withheld from myself. You read this through the rest of the journal. And he starts talking about how that there's absolutely nothing in his life in terms of comfort, pleasure, status, accomplishment, wealth, all the things that we make idols of in this life, all the things that we say, if we could just have that, boy, would it change my life. If I could just get to a certain place, if I could just have this. And so we kind of move in a direction and we, we, we begin to live for those things and stuff our lives full of those things. And here's what he says about all that. He says, here's what I've discovered. Life is super, super empty under the sun. Under the sun. He's saying, there's nothing in this world, nothing. I've discovered this. There's nothing in this world under the sun. I've experienced it all to the hilt with no throttle. Put it all in, gone the full length, full bore, all in, held nothing back in every regard, even including having 700 wives and a thousand concubines. And he says, let me tell you about it. It's super, super empty. And he comes to the conclusion of this. Here's my conclusion. Fear God and Place your life under His leadership, His commands. How did God get Solomon to come to the place where he finally turned his heart back to the Lord? And this is one that probably some of you may be experiencing from time to time. And that is, He lets you experience the absolute emptiness of everything this world offers. The absolute emptiness of it. And you pursued it, you had it, you wanted it, you got it, and then when you got it, you went, it's not enough. Super, super, super empty. That's what causes hearts to turn toward Him. When you experience the utter emptiness, life cannot feel the emptiness in your life 
whenever you're moving against all that God has for you, He says, I'm going to let you experience the bitter emptiness of this so that you'll turn your heart back toward Me. With David, it was confrontation. With Solomon, it was, go ahead, have at it. But then I'm going to let you experience the super emptiness of life. And hopefully that will change your heart. Turn it back toward me. Let's go to a third illustration. You'll find this over in one of those places, a very familiar story. But it's a story that should remind you of what God has. God has told us in His Word that is a way that He uses to bring our hearts back toward Him. That is the story that we find in the life of a man who God said, here's the plans I have for your life. I want you to be used by me to go to a place and I want you to share with them this message. And here's the message I want you to tell them. I want you to go tell them that unless they change, unless they repent, I'm going to destroy their city. That city was Nineveh. Now that doesn't mean anything much to us, but for Jonah, that meant like going from the United States to go to where the ISIS are, and I want you to go tell them that I'm going to destroy them unless they turn back toward me. And that would be like, and Jonah says, God, I know you too well. You're a God of mercy. And if they go and their hearts change and turn back to you, I don't like that. I want you to destroy them. And so... What does Jonah do? Jonah says, I'm not going to do what you want me to do and your purpose and plan for my life. I'm not moving in that direction. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move in a total opposite direction. God said, go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish. That would be like God saying, I want you to go to London and you say, I'm going to Hawaii. He went as far as ways he could possibly go. Far as ways he could possibly go. Let's read what God does to bring his heart back to him. You're saying, I think I know this story. Let's see if we can dig into it a little deeper. Beginning at verse 1 of Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call against it. For their sin has come up before me. Their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it, into, to go down into Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great storm upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now I'm just going to pause there because there's so much more to this story. And you remember if the story, if, uh, if you remember the story of Jonah, how that this storm broke up, and where was Jonah? He was down in the bow of the ship, asleep. Totally, uh, uh, totally indifferent to what was going on around him. All the people on the ship, seasoned mariners, became frightened. They threw all the cargo off into the sea. And then finally they kind of got together and they said, somebody here has done something evil against all the gods. And finally Jonah stepped up and said, I'm going to tell you who it is. It's me. And then you know what Jonah said to them? Now watch this for a second. Jonah said, throw me overboard. I want you to see how insistent and how deep the sense of I'm not going to do what God wants me to do was was in his heart. Jonah said, I would rather die than do what God wants me to do. Jonah didn't know anything about God preparing a great fish to swallow him. 
as we know the story happens. He didn't know that. He was saying, I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. That's how hard sometimes our hearts get toward God's will and purpose for our lives. He says, go here. We say, I'm not going there. And so Jonah said, I'd rather die than obey. And God says, I'm not going to let you off that easy. I'm going to prepare fish for you that's going to be big enough to swallow you and you're going to carry out my will. And so he finds and he has this amphibious landing on the shores of Nineveh. And we see God do an amazing thing through him. And the city ultimately turns toward God just like Jonah didn't want him to. And then Jonah pouts about it. And we end up this story of Jonah uh, kind of like the, wanting you know, God to take his own life. Now pause here for a second. How did God ultimately get Jonah to carry out his will and go to Nineveh? Listen carefully, because what I'm about to say may be confusing if you don't hear me correctly. God used confrontation with David. He let Solomon experience the super emptiness of his own life and of this world. Sometimes, God creates and allows and causes a tragedy in your life. Not all painful moments in life are the result of sin and disobedience. But sometimes, God says the only way that they're going to get their attention is for them to experience some deep personal pain. And He allows a storm to come in your life. And the pain hits. And it causes you in those moments to say, alright, I'll do what you want me to do. However reluctant you may be. A painful, sorrowful moment that God allows in your life And hear me again, not all pain, not all sorrow is because of sin. It's not. But there are times because your hardness of heart is so great, God says the only way is to allow some pain in their world, a storm to come into their life, to turn them back toward me. God uses confrontation. He uses and allows us to experience the emptiness of life. He allows pain and suffering, a storm to blow into our lives. But let's look at the final way God pursues a rebellious heart to turn back toward Him. Look, if you would, in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. I want us to drop down into probably the most famous short story that Jesus ever told had three different parts to it, but the last part has this very deep personal part to it. He moves from inanimate objects to a real object. He moves from a, a, a coin in this story and a, about a lost sheep to the real life of a son. Let's read the story beginning at verse 11. Jesus is telling this story, an illustration. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me... The share of property that is, that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. How many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. 
And there he squandered his property. Understand, as Jesus is telling this story, the people there, audience there, are people that are just shocked that any son would ever think about going to his father before he had died and basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have what you had planned to give me when you die. I would like to have it now. That's basically what this son does. Then the Bible says, but many days later he went off and he took a journey into a far country and squandered his property on on reckless living. And when he had spent everything, there was a severe famine that came into the country and he began to be in need and want. So he went and hired himself out uh, uh, as, uh, as, as a citizen of that country who sent him into fields to feed to feed pigs, the swine. And as he was longing to be fed with the, the, the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And then when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and, and before heaven, and, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This young man who in every regard so totally disrespected his father goes off, takes all the inheritance that, that really wasn't rightfully his. And he, but he goes and his, his father gives it to him and he goes off and he has his own way. And the Bible describes him as living recklessly, and we don't need to define that. You get that. But the Bible says that in that particular moment, he came to his senses. All sin is insanity. And whenever you come to the place where in your life you go, this is crazy, I can't believe I did such a stupid thing. How could I have been so insane to move in this direction in your life? He came to his senses. He came to his right mind. He began to see things correctly and he begins to rehearse begins to rehearse the speech before his father but here's the part that I want you to see about the story that a lot of times as familiar as we are we don't see this picture of what actually happened imagine the father I'm going to wrap up with this imagine the father day after day wondering about his boy he, he did a very totally un, unreal thing by saying to his son in a rebellious moment, he could have had him stoned, but he said, no, go ahead, I'll give it to you now. And he went off. And now he, he's wondering, wonder, what about his boy, this prodigal son, who's rebelled against him in every way, disregarded him in every way, and yet his heart is still there for his son. And then one day, he sees his son in the distance. And he sees his son moving towards where they live. But it, between him and where he lives, where the father is and where the son is, there's the local community. And 
He knows that the son, before he can get to where he is, has to go through that community. And how is he going to come through that community? He's going to come through that community with all of the sense of absolute, total brokenness. He's going to come through with all the stench and smell of a life that has been wrecked and ruined by reckless living. And the Father sees him and he knows he's going to have to go through all of that ridicule, all of that embarrassment, all of that shame, all of that guilt. And what does the Father do? The Bible says in this story that Jesus told that the Father began to run toward the Son. And for a father to run, that was such an undignified thing to do. But he would literally pick up the skirts of his own own clothing and he began to run through the community before the son had to go through all the shame and the guilt and the pain, the father ran through the gauntlet to get to his boy. And as soon as he got to the boy, he said, let's get off all the filthy rags of your brokenness. I'm going to instead put on you all of a brand new robe, put a ring on your finger, put shoes on your feet so everybody would know you're my boy and you've been restored. That's the picture of the father's love. What was it that brought the boy home? You can say, well, he he was in a very bad place. No, if you read the story again that Jesus told, He said, He began to remember His Father. And it was the remembrance of His Father's love that brought Him back. And His Father ran to where He is. Think about that as a picture of when we're there in the squalor and the aftermath and the ruin and the consequences of our own stupid, sinful willfulness, what does God do? He wants us to remember, I've already run through the gauntlet for you. I bore the shame and the pain and the guilt on the cross. And all you've got to do is to know That there's never anything that you could do that would ever cause me to stop loving you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And for you in that moment to be reminded, I don't have to stay here. There's a Father who loves me. He's already run through the gauntlet through His Son on the cross for my sin. I can come home and be restored. Be restored. So, as you look at your life, this is where it gets personal. Question. Is there any area of your life right now where you know, hidden maybe not from others, but maybe hidden in your own life, that you know needs to change because it represents an area of rebellion, resistance, rejection of everything you know that God has in mind for your life. Has God brought somebody in your life? Has God spoken to you through another person to say, hey look, you need to stop. You need to stop it now. And they've done it out of legitimate concern for who you are. And there's somebody that's trusted 
and they can speak and you know that they're speaking not in judgmental attitude. They're speaking out of a broken heart for you where you are. Have you found yourself saying, I moved in this thinking this was going to be everything I ever wanted. I'm living for this and now I'm coming up so super empty. It's God saying to you, turn back toward me. I'm the only one who can feel the restlessness and the emptiness in your heart. Have you experienced some pain? And it's crushing you. And there's a storm that's blown in your life. God's saying, you need to come home. Have you thought about the cross? The Father loves you. The Father waits for you and runs to you. He waits for you to turn back, but He runs to you before you have to walk through all the shame, guilt, and pain because He's already taken care of that on the cross. Let's pray together.